This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Owen Jones. This is the Cheerful Election Daily. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, my hyperactive... Burmese cat. There he is. That's Rickman. Uh, Rickman has a lot of opinions. He has a lot to say. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I can't translate the exact, uh, meow to English, uh, sort of utterances of this cat, but I, I hope he's not pro Boris Johnson and he's not just yelling, uh, you silly little socialist prepubescent looking idiot, but who knows? So, um, a lot has actually happened this weekend, uh, and this is the risk of doing this kind of podcast, because what happens is, is I, I kind of think, you know, uh, let you all have the weekend off for my hit and miss babblings. Emma Corsham, the brilliant producer who puts this stick together and tries to make some sort of coherent sense of some of this, therefore doesn't have to spend her uh, Friday and Saturday nights having to to put this together. But a lot has happened. So let's start, shall we? Let's get, let's just dive straight in. Question time this Friday. So, uh, this was the, this is important. This, the, the, in terms of for Labour, certainly. Um, because what happened at the last election, I say this quite a lot, but it is true. In the last election, uh, Jeremy Corbyn started off not a popular guy, to say the least. He was very unpopular. But people, when broadcasting wars kick in, giving the opposition more of a kind of fair say, uh, and he went on television a lot to to speak, you know, his actual thoughts without being mediated to a largely hostile press, people were like, oh, maybe he's not going to nationalise my gran after all. Maybe he's not going on a holiday to Butlins with the leader of Al-Qaeda. Actually, he's a quite sweet, kind of thoughtful, uh, passionate uh, guy, he might have his flaws, which he does, but he's not the monster that's portrayed by the right-wing media. So he kicked it off on Friday and it got bogged down originally in some slightly odd, uh, obscure questions. Um, the first was going on about, uh, how him, uh, J- Jeremy Coleman and his socialism was a threat to our freedoms. I always found this interesting. I'll let you in a little story. I used to work for John McDonnell, the shadow chancellor. And uh, this was in uh, 2005 to 2008. And the first week I started working in John McDonald's office, and just to explain what the operation was, so basically, uh, John McDonald at the time was basically the main figure in the Labour left. And uh, uh, he was chair of, of, of what's called the Socialist Campaign Group of Labour MPs. That's the kind of lefty faction of the, of the, of the members of Parliament. But then it was very marginalised, fragmented, isolated. And, and one of my jobs, and I worked with a guy called Andrew Fisher, who's the head of policy at Labour. He, he, he wrote the last manifesto and the current manifesto. And, uh, we, one of, we, we used to do stuff like lobby ministers, new Labour in power at the time on things like, you know, workers' rights, privatization, um, arrange meetings between unions and ministers to try and stop 
stop New Labour being so naughty. And But one of the things is we did this informal whipping operation. Whipping is each party has whips to keep their MPs kind of in check and get them to vote the way the government or their party wants them to vote. And and the week I began, this was November 2005, uh, New Labour were trying to extend detention without charge to 90 days, which was longer than apartheid South Africa. This was not long after the 7-7 bombing, the atrocity, of course, on the underground, in which dozens of innocent Londoners and others were murdered by terrorists. Um, And basically what happened is the the cops went in to the government to say... uh, uh, you know, the, the, in terms of extending this time, and the government were like, how long do you, detention, extension do you want? And the police went in with the kind of classic, ask for something you know you're not going to get on the basis there'll be uh, a compromise, uh, but at least it will be more than we currently have. So they said 90 days, and Tony Blair went, yep, that's great. So the week I started, what we had to do is ring round MPs to try and get them to vote this down because it was a terrible attack on civil liberties and horrible authoritarian attack. And uh, it that week, this was not down to me before you think I've suddenly developed a messianic complex, but that was the first defeat New Labour suffered um, at the time in its eight years in power. And uh, the point I'm trying to make here is one of the things that Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell, Dan Abbott and, and, and the rest of that left kind of faction of the Labour Party, their big things was opposing the attacks on civil liberties, the authoritarian overreach of New Labour at the time. And they often vilified and still are is, oh, well, you're weak, uh, wishy-washy lefties and, uh, free, you know, security is more important than freedom. Uh, but so when you get this kind of, oh, they're authoritarian, would-be Stalinist tyrants, what's interesting is actually, and again, whatever their flaws, is actually their history has been one of standing up for civil liberties. So I find that question bizarre. Um, another question got bogged down in Bolivia, not not entirely the main subject, which people are talking about on the, on the doorstep, which focused on Jeremy Corbyn opposing a military coup. Oh, he really is an outrage. He, he, he needs to resign that Jeremy Corbyn. What is he like willy-nilly opposing military takeovers of Latin American countries? But what I thought was particularly important about his performance was he said... Um, that in a future referendum, uh, so Labour's committed to a referendum with Remain on the ballot paper versus a customs union's Brexit, uh, he'd stay neutral. Now, I, I wish he'd done this earlier. I'm not going to lie. I think that would have been wiser. Um, because what Labour always should have said on this is, this is a divided country, which successive, well, Theresa May and Boris Johnson, those governments have tried to divide us more. They fueled, they, you know, tried to neighbour against neighbour. We're not divided by how we voted on that one one sunny day back in June 2016. We're actually mostly united. We want the NHS funded. We want people to have a genuine living wage. We think the rich should pay more tax to invest in all the services that are crumbling around us, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and most people have suffered a, 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 the longest squeeze in wages for, for generations. So more unites us than divides us, however we voted. And actually, you should have a prime minister who bridges that divide, who brings people together, uh, who doesn't call one side enemies of the people, traitors and saboteurs, as most of the Tory press have done to Remainers, um, and, and acts as an honest broker to implement a referendum result and just says, look, we've been torn apart on this. We need to come together now. Let's sort this out with the referendum. Uh, you choose what you want to do. I'll just implement the result. Then we'll just just move on and talk about the things we really care about. Um, and they should have said that from the start. And I think the fact he said it now is important and needs to be built on. The idea of he's going to be an honest broker. He'll just implement 
whatever people side in a referendum. But that was good. But the key thing was, it, it was his best performance of the campaign. He came across as, dare I say it, prime ministerial. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, there was no, you know, the audience talked well to him. Uh, he got huge amounts of applause and cheers. And I think that is something which needs to be built on. I think it will take a while to percolate, or if you certainly not immediately turn people around in terms of people who've kind of gone off him or just don't like him at the moment. But I think it will make an impact. Um, Joe Swinson's performance was absolutely catastrophic. It was like being trapped in her anxiety dream. Um, she went in, to say the least, with quite a lot of uh, self-confidence. Yeah, she tweeted beforehand with a uh, Beyonce gif, which I always think slightly uh, a, a cocky move, to say the least. Um, Beyonce is a legend. Joe Swinson. Hmm. Um, but so she posted this of Beyonce kind of marching with a kind of explosion behind her. Only one hour to go until I'm on BBC Question Time Leader Special. Can't wait to show the other leaders what a girly SWAT can do with two boxing gloves. I mean, it was terrible from the outset. It was it was unwatchable how bad it was because the problem with the Lib Dems. So she she came under fire for the whole revoke nonsense. The idea you can just scrub out the referendum result instead of going back to the British people and letting them decide. Um, on her government, you know, the Lib Dems role in all the terrible cuts which have left so many people suffering in this country and which led partly to Brexit because people are so angry and disillusioned. Um, and, it, you know, it was just completely unconvincing. There was, there was uh, you know, nothing to kind of convince people of a party which was in power for for most of the, well, for half of the last decade and, and which you can't understand the mess we're in without without that. And that was very clear in the audience. Nicola Sturgeon, oh, she was actually second, sorry, I've got this order wrong. Nicola Sturgeon is the most, in terms of presentation and style, the most impressive politician in the country. Uh, I get very jealous of the Scottish National Party just because she, you know, I think uh, I have, I don't support Scottish nationalism. I support the right of Scottish people to decide uh, their own future, uh, but I'm not a nationalist. And the SNP's one big thing is independence, obviously. Uh, so, which is why they, you know, they used to support being like Ireland slash corporation tax and all the rest. And then when Ireland collapsed, they pivoted to say, well, actually, we want to be like Scandinavia. So their big thing is, their big consistent theme is obviously an independent Scotland. So they, they shift their other components of that ideology according to what they think will make that more likely. Um, but she's an extremely impressive performer, unflappable, uh, never really seen her in any trouble on television. But I mean, I, the things she said in terms of uh, the way she presented in terms of uh, doing a deal with uh, Jamie Corbyn was instantly clipped by the Conservatives. And you can see why. And I think she would have known that would happen. I can't shake off the fact that it's the SNP, if, you know, they are savvy, clever people and they know the best bet of Scottish independence is a hard Brexit and a Boris Johnson majority. It's just a fact. If you get a Labour government that invests and reverses austerity and makes, uh, you know, reverses some of the damage Scotland's face, then independence is less likely. I mean, that's going to annoy some of the people listening to that, but I can't help but shake that basic political assumption. Um, Boris Johnson. Now... Uh, Again, I mean, Boris Johnson's um, performance was a classic example of how 
you know, a one of the most, you know, someone from an extremely privileged background, uh, who most of the media have treated for a long time as he's a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh. We don't take him seriously, uh, or we don't, or, or in the sense of uh, we don't take him as a threat seriously. He's 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 some, you know, he's laugh, you know, he's we laugh along with him. He's he's a bit of a joker, and and but but fundamentally a likable politician that collided with with the audience you know they, they he was challenged on his racism his bigotry uh, he's a man who called black people picking innies with watermelon smiles he called gay people but uh, uh tank top bum boys uh muslim women he compared to uh bank robbers and letterboxes which led to a massive spike in hate crimes against muslims um, he's someone as edited the Spectator. His magazine published an article saying black people had a lower IQ than than white people. Uh, you know, he's someone who's been recorded. His friend spoke of beating up a journalist and asked for his name, and uh, and Boris Johnson went along with it. I mean, it, it, that he was challenged about it in the audience. Uh, one member demanded he apologised. He refused to do so because he's not ashamed. Um, and, and what I thought was an interesting moment was his whole big slogan is get Brexit done, which was like Theresa May's strong and stable. Do you remember when strong and stable people laughed at that in the election campaign in the audience? And that is what happened in the audience on Friday. Um, because get Brexit done as a con, of course, if you vote for the Conservatives, we're going to end up with, uh, years of trade negotiations with the US, uh, and other countries where the future relationship with the EU will be, uh, hammered out forever if you you know you if you want to stop waking up to headlines about brexit all the time which i think most of us that's the position we're in then if you vote tory you're going to be absolutely devastated because that's what we're going to have for years to come so it was a he was rattled at lots of time he, he lots of them you know he, he he under pressure you know getting far more vigorous questioning and scrutiny than most of the media have dared to offer it, it showed that this is not an impressive uh, politician on his own terms. And actually, interestingly, the evidence I've been given, and we'll see, because it'll take a while to show in the polls, is that some people who have been given a very good impression of Boris Johnson by the media and a very bad impression of Jeremy Corbyn by the same outlets, they looked at this and thought, actually, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe actually the impression I've been given isn't accurate. So we'll have to see, you know, because anecdotally I've been told of people who are shifting towards Labour because of these TV debates, but we'll have to see what the polling shows on that. Now, the Tory manifesto was launched yesterday. What on earth, what, what, I mean, there's nothing in it. Honestly, it was empty, an empty void. So, I mean, there were some commitments to it, uh, sawing out potholes. I, I, I'm a cyclist. I've had many a encounter with potholes, which has, uh, in, in one case, nearly taken out my face. So I, I understand that is a problem uh, to do with years of cuts uh, and lack of investment by... Who was in power in that time? I can't remember. Which political party was it? I, I'm just trying to remember who's been in power since 2010 just to, to work out why those potholes have got worse as our creaking infrastructure deteriorates. So they've committed to that. They made a commitment on uh, 50,000 new nurses. Uh, it's bullshit. Uh, let's just throw that out there, just be straight to the point. It includes 12,000 from abroad, 14,000 new undergrad students, and 5,000 degree apprenticeships. It leaves 19,000 retained who'd otherwise have left. Uh, as one political reporter put it. So not new nurses in the slightest. The key thing is, is in terms of, you know, we've been told, ah, oh, the Tories are going to turn the, the the taps of spending back on, the investment's going to go in the economy. 
as the Institute of Fiscal Studies, they are not lefties, by the way, it's a think tank, and they've said the cuts of the last decade will be baked in on these plans. So, you know, health, education, uh, the justice system, um, housing, all of those cuts, they're not being reversed. They're being actually made the new normal. The state rolled back, which is ideologically, of course, what the Tories in power to do. But for me, what's really, really disturbing uh, is the fact that there's so little in the manifesto. It gives the Tories a blank check when their most right wing faction in modern history is in power. So what will happen is they get a whopping big majority, which they might, by the way. I know this is supposed to be cheerful, but we've got to talk about reality. They might get a majority, a big majority. They can do what they want. And uh, because they haven't spelled out to the British people what they're going to do, they'll just, who knows what they're going to get up to. So I think that's a really, really, really critical point. Now, in terms of, I'm just going to read the Tory uh, press release about it. I'll just read it out here. Compared to the Labour manifesto, Boris Johnson's plan for the country is a shopping list of promises, not an encyclopedia of ambitions. Oh, that's not the Tory press release. No, no, sorry. That's the BBC's write-up. I'm not joking, by the way. I'm literally not joking. General election 2019, Tories seek to avoid manifesto calamity. That's the headline. And that is how it opens. I mean, look, I know I generally, I I have criticised the BBC before, but a lot of the time I'm like, what's the point? Might as well bark at some thunder. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people just go, roll their eyes. Oh, you're going to criticise the BBC, are you? Can I just read it again, just so we're on the same page here? Compared to the Labour manifesto, Boris Johnson's plan for the country is a shopping list of promises, not an encyclopedia of ambitions. If Dominic Cummings was going to rewrite that, what would he change? Seriously. So it goes on. And Boris Johnson called this election because he wants to leave the EU at speed. Again, this is just Tory framing. I mean, uh, for a start, actually as on second reading of the bill it got through <laughs> he knows that but secondly at speed that's not true is it i mean again it's worth repeating if we leave the eu with his deal we've got years to go uh, in terms of negotiating a future relationship and trade deals whereas jeremy corbyn is after months of labor evolving its position offering another referendum a little prod there that is the general the clear difference between the two big parties this time vote to leave the eu at speed bollocks and enact the 2016 referendum who is writing this is it dominic cummings or choose labor to push for another big national ballot i i say again and plump for the chance to stay the only remotely fair bit of this entire article i mean it is absurd i mean look what you sometimes get with arch defenders of the bbc who think it can do no wrong is they'll go oh well don't the daily mail and the right always attack it for being too left-wing this is a classic logical fallacy, by the way. So if I attack the criminal justice system, because the argument that when people do this, by the way, is they go, the left attack the BBC, the right attack the BBC, that shows it's neutral. That's a logical fallacy. If I attack the criminal justice system for being too punitive and for being racist, and the right criticise the justice system for being not punitive enough, uh, would you then say, well, that shows the criminal justice system has got it just right because both left and right are opposing it? Of course you wouldn't. That's a logical fallacy. One senior BBC presenter said to me that the centre of political gravity at the BBC is basically Blairite. So on the economy, it's on the right. On social issues like LGBTQ issues and immigration, it's on on kind of the progressive wing in terms of most people who work at the BBC. So that's why both left and right get annoyed with it for very different reasons. But you, what's happened 
in the last few years, you know, the BBC has always had these problems. And Cardiff University did a study a few years ago showing its, uh, you know, trade union voices were drastically underrepresented, financial crash, City of London, uh, senior bankers were interviewed as though they were witnesses, not participants. It's not what happened during the winter of discontent in the 70s with trade union leaders, that's for sure. Um, but what's happened is because the Tories have managed to, you know, in terms of starving it of funding and using that as a whip hand and threats of privatisation, they've, they've pushed a culture which has shifted the BBC's political centre of gravity in an even worse direction. But you're like, you are licensed for your payers. You might support the Labour Party, you might not. But you are supposed to have an impartial, fair, balanced public broadcaster. What I just read out to you, I just it's just Tory spin. You know, I'm not sitting here with a tinfoil hat on. Uh, I mean, just listen back to to what was written in that write-up of the manifesto. I mean, it's just completely written on the terms of the Tory party. It's annoying. Finally, so... Today I'm back up to Ashfield. I was there, you heard me chatting to the Labour candidate the other week. The reason I'm bringing this up, so the polling for Labour at the moment is not good. Uh, It's pretty much where it was at this time in the last election campaign. But the Tories, if the polling is correct, would win a big uh, majority. And, you know, if they want to start killing the first board or whatever they've got up their sleeve, then they would be able to get away with that. That's hyperbole, by the way, before anyone complains. So what is interesting is, and this is... I speak as someone who is a moderate Remainer, uh, a campaign to stay in the EU, uh, despite my criticisms of its existing setup. I want to democratise it and uh, and shift it away from kind of market ideology. Uh, but I believe I would vote and campaign to remain again in a referendum if Labour come to power. But uh, Labour largely come under criticism, or have done, from Remainers for not having shifted quickly enough uh, and not being pro-Remain enough. That Jeremy Corbyn needs to basically, uh, you know, go around singing Ode to Joy and uh, wear the EU stars on his little blazer all day whilst he just says, I love the EU, ad infinitum, that still won't be enough. the, The reason I'm frustrated about this is... Labour were I, I were right to back a new referendum, and I think they should have done it quicker. But what the polling shows, and all the evidence on the ground, so the polling of constituencies, uh, the doorstep anecdotes, uh, the Tory campaign, how it's orientated, is Labour's big problem at the moment is its Leave supporters. So in various northern and midlands communities that voted for Labour in 2017, uh, and where many of their voters voted to leave the European Union, they are deserting, they have deserted Labour, and they've not come back. Um, whilst the polling shows Remainers are coming back in very significant numbers, which is why Labour's polling has risen from its very, very, very bad uh, rating before the election started. So the reason I'm frustrated is, you know, all this chat about basically Labour needs to be even more Remainy than they already are, even though the only pathway back to Remain is a Labour government, a referendum will remain on the ballot paper. Apparently people need to have their Jeremy Corbyn to hold their hand into the uh, polling booth uh, and tell them which way to vote. But is that, if Labour don't win back those Leave votes, that they're not going to win the election and Boris Johnson's going to win a big majority and hard Brexit's going to happen and these bunch of right-wing fanatics are going to run the country for five years and do what the hell they want. 
And that, by the way, they're going to do everything like change the, uh, the, uh, the constituency boundaries and reduce the number of MPs and all the rest of it to make Tory majorities more likely on fewer votes in the future. So the reason I'm frustrated is I'm worried about that. I'm worried that a lot of people who voted Leave and vote Labour are the most pissed off at the party at the moment. And unless Labour wins them back, they're not going to win a majority. And yet the focus is still the Lib Dems and others going, oh, Labour needs to come out and back remain with, you know, militant gusto. And if they don't, they're an absolute disgrace. That worries me. And I think I'm going to go to Ashfield and just see how things stand on the ground. But the evidence suggests that in the South, things are better for Labour. This is not the normal state of affairs, by the way. Um, in the early, after 1992, when Labour lost against John Major's Conservatives, um, an MP called John Denham, uh, Labour MP, wrote a piece called, uh, a, 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 a pamphlet called Southern Discomfort. It was about Labour's problems in the South. Now, the South has changed. You're getting lots of younger people in precarious conditions in southern constituencies uh, who are struggling to get a secure, well-paid job, a decent, affordable home and settling down with their families uh, who are shifting towards Labour. It's kind of a new working class in the South who are shifting their allegiances. But at the same time, in the North, particularly amongst older white Leave voters, uh, Labour are, are, are struggling more than they were. And unless they can bridge that that gap and that bring that coalition together they're not going to win so that is big labor's last big kind of challenge if they want to they do need to win back more people from the lib dems um but at the same time they need to keep and the, the those who voted leave and voted labor in 2017 on their side as well otherwise it's always going to win so all i'd say is if you're one of those people who goes I'm so angry with Labour right now. Why aren't they on the barricade screaming Remain and stop Brexit, you know, with 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 every fibre of their being? You've got, we've got to take this into account. You know, there's a polling of a poll of Great Grimsby, which has been a Labour constituency since World War Two, which suggests that the Tories are gonna to win it, not because their vote's gone up, the polling showed it was just the same as twenty seventeen, but because a big chunk of the Labour vote is going to the Brexit party. And that is what we have to kind of, you know, I do think it is important, finally, to have a prime minister to bring the country together. But if we don't, you know, listen to Leave voters as a country, including where I grew up, and I'm back to Stockport this week, then the Tories are going to win a big majority. It's worth thinking this through. Because my worry is, are we going to end up regretting not backing and accepting a soft Brexit uh, if we end up with a hard Brexit Tory government um, and our Remainers who are saying Labour's position is not good enough and saying, oh, they're just a Brexit party, they're just a Brexit party, when constituencies in the North and Midlands go off to the Tories in the election, which I obviously desperately hope won't happen, are they going to look back and go, should have thought of that. Right, so... That was a long weekend for me, so I've been to Aberconway, uh, which was very interesting, uh, and I'm I'm going to keep travelling around the country. Uh, I've got some interesting people to talk to in the coming days, but I'm quite tired, so I'm going to leave you to it now. And poor Emma has to put this together, and I want her to get to bed as well. But uh, I will keep you updated. We have two and a half weeks, just over, until the most important election of our time. So two things finally. Firstly, please leave stars, rate this, really appreciate it gets the word out secondly is 
register to fucking vote. If you don't register to vote, you'll have bad sex for the rest of your life, and that was a promise. Uh, you have until tomorrow, midnight. That's it. Won't have a say. Tell everyone you know. Run around the streets of whichever town or village or city or whatever you, Hamlet, wherever you live, and tell everyone to register to vote. And uh, because this is the biggie and we're running out of time, but we can do it. Have hope, have optimism. I certainly do, despite the odds. Our ancestors fought against far greater odds than us. That's for sure. So I will see you, or I won't see you. This Logistically, that's unlikely. But if I don't see you in person, I will speak to you soon. Take care. Lots of love. Election Daily is produced by the cheerful team, including Jeff Lloyd, Emma Corsham, Joe Kenyon, and Joel Pierce, with music from Pete Frazier. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.